The process of landing investment banking job offers can often feel like a black box, which leads to confusion and anxiety for most of the candidates going through it. Hey, my name is Sam Shaw, and I'm the founder of Wall Street Mastermind. I've personally coached numerous students on how to successfully break into top-tier investment banks, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Centerview, Evercore, and PJT Partners, just to name a few. On this podcast, I'm going to help you demystify the investment banking recruiting process by sharing what the clients of Wall Street Mastermind have done to get results like these. Enjoy this episode. Hey, what's up, everyone? Sam here at Wall Street Mastermind. Uh, wanted to talk to you guys today about uh, the different buy side exit opportunities that you have coming out of investment banking. Okay, this is a question that I've been getting a lot. Just people want to know, hey, I, I, I got into banking. You know, I know I don't want to stay in banking forever, um, and so I'm looking ahead to the exit opportunities. But I'm not really sure. You know, between the most popular options, which are you know venture capital, private equity, or hedge funds. Um, which one is the the best one, right? And so uh, before I dive into any of this, I just want to preface it by saying um, there is no best one, right? This is somewhat subjective. Um, if you ask different people, they're going to tell you different things. And by the way, everyone you talk to, um, their opinion is always going to be uh, influenced by their own personal experience, whether it's their own personal experience or that of the people around them that they know who have gone through these uh, these fields, right? Um, and that's no different today. Like, obviously, I have my own personal opinion. Um, personally, I went into private equity after banking, um, after a lot of thought, and I'll explain what that is in a, in a second here. But I have also had um, a lot of friends that have gone through venture capital, especially since I live out here in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley, right? And I also have had friends that have gone through the hedge fund route, right? And so I've kind of seen um, all of these different paths. So um, either way, I just want to say there's no right or wrong answer here. Ultimately, you got to do what you think is best for you. Um, but I'm going to walk you through some of the primary differences. Okay, so anytime I'm in, I'm thinking about my career path or you know what I want to do uh, for my next job, there are probably four major areas that I'm thinking about in no, no particular order, right? Um, it's compensation, which is obviously very important. How much am I getting paid for my work? Um, secondly, work-life balance, uh, or like, you know, in other words, how many hours am I going to be working? Um, the third thing is exit opportunity. Uh, and then the fourth thing is, you know, learning, which is also ties into roles and responsibility. Like, what am I going to be working on and what am I going to learn from this job? Uh, what kind of transferable skill sets is it going to give me, right? Now, if we look at these four areas, and by the way, again, I said in no particular order, which means depending on who you are, you might value each of these criteria differently. Like some people just say, hey, I just want the highest paying job. I don't really care about anything else. That's totally cool too, right? Other people, I say, hey, work-life balance is really important to me, um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? So you have to decide which of these factors is most important to you. There is no perfect job that is just like the best across the board in every single way, okay? Now, let's go one by one through these. This table should be pretty easy to understand and self-explanatory, but... On the compensation front, uh, and by the way, the the pay that I've listed here, this is like the entry-level pay, or by entry-level, I mean like this is what you would typically be able to make if you were coming into one of these buy-side jobs straight out of two years of banking, okay? So you're coming in as a VC associate or PE associate, um, pre-MBA, right? Or for a hedge fund, like maybe you're going in you know, at the most junior level, right, as a hedge fund analyst. 
And so, as you can see here, typically, look, VC is going to be on the lower end of the scale here relative to P and hedge fund. You're probably making on average one hundred fifty to two hundred thousand dollars, depending on the size of the fund. Um, and I would say probably closer to one fifty than the two hundred. Okay. In um, private equity, and by the way, we lump growth equity in here because growth equity is kind of like a hybrid between VC and PE, but I would say it's a little bit closer to private equity um, from a recruiting standpoint and in terms of skill set. And so I lumped it in with private equity. Now, if you go to growth equity or PE, you're probably making between 250 to 400K. Again, um, it depends on the size of the fund that you go to, right? Like when you're looking at the 400K, you're looking at places like Apollo. Um, or even like 300 plus K, you're looking at like the mega funds, okay? Like the Blackstone, KKR, TPGs uh, of the world, right? Um, if you're looking at, you know, middle market, um, then you're probably looking at closer to 200 to 300 K or sometimes 250 to 300 K. And if you go below that to like the lower middle market funds, um, then it could be even lower, right? And so both in VC and in PE, like, how much you get paid is very much correlated to the size of the fund that you work at, okay? So that's the most important thing to keep in mind. In terms of hedge funds, you can see there's a much wider variance here. Like, it could be as low as 150, all the way up to 600, maybe even more, okay? And that's because in hedge fund, uh, you in the hedge fund, your performance is tied a lot more to how well the fund did in any given year. And then also, how well did you do in any given year, right? Um, in the investments that you worked on. And so if you just absolutely crush it, you could have a really, really great year and get paid a lot of money, right? But at the same time, like if you don't do well or if your fund doesn't do well, um, sometimes you'll get zero, like no bonus, right? In which case like the 150K, that's just your base salary, right? And so it's a lot more of a you eat what you kill type of environment and some people like that and, and a lot of people don't, right? Um, one thing you got to realize, like I was talking to my friend who was, uh, who's been working in a hedge fund for like the last 10 years or so. I was curious. So I just asked him like, hey, so how much money are you making now uh, in a given year? And he's like, you know what? Like it varies anywhere from 400K to a million dollars. Now that sounds great. It's like, you're like, well, 400K and a million dollars. That's, I'd be happy either way because it's a lot of money. Um, but in reality, if you really think about it, what typically happens is as you start to make more money, uh, your lifestyle also increases with that. Right? They call it lifestyle creep. And so if you've been expecting to make a million dollars, because say you made a million dollars last year, and you start buying bigger houses, driving more expensive cars, spending more money, sending your kids to private school, whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden the next year, your compensation drops down to 400K. Now all of a sudden you're not able to afford all these things. You can't make your car payments. You can't pay your mortgage. So it's problematic, right? And so when your pay fluctuates so much, it's not always a good thing, in my opinion. Like you have to probably be... Um, on the more conservative side in terms of how you spend your money and then hey if you have a great year everything's just you know extra bonus on top right so anyway that's the compensation side um, I would say like the pay in VCMP is a lot more stable so it's in a much tighter range um, and again it just primarily comes down to the size of your fund okay now in terms of hours I think um, the best hours are probably going to be in venture capital on average you'd probably be working 50 60 hours or so um, but you know, by the way, when I say 50, 60 hours, like that might be how much time you spend in the office. But in reality, what you need to understand is that in any of these buy-side jobs, very, very demanding, right? And just because you're not in the office, it doesn't mean that your mind is not thinking about work. Like you're always on, right? And in VC, even if you're not in the office, 
Like you're always constantly trying to source deals. So you might be like going to networking events and trying to meet with new entrepreneurs and whatnot. And so just keep in mind that the absolute number of hours that you're working is not the only thing that you need to take into account, right? Same thing in private equity. Um, you know, I've seen survey data on this. Varies anywhere from like 55, even I've even seen uh, seen 50 hours before, depending on the firm, all the way up to like 80 hours on the high end. And again, this is an average week. Um, but in reality, it's very lumpy, right? It's, it's uh, just like banking is driven by whether you're working on a deal or not. Like if you're working on a deal, you could be working more hours than that. You could be working 90, 100 hours a week. And then like when you're not working on deals, you might be working 40, 50 hours a week. And then like in, and then in between, like it kind of averages out, right? Um, the other thing that you got to realize about private equity is you say, well, 55 and 80, that, that's a huge difference. Yeah, it's a really big range. And the work-life balance in PE is not as uniform as it would be in banking. Where in banking, if you work at Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley or JP Morgan or whatever other top-tier bank, your hours are going to be relatively similar. It's in a very, very tight range. But in PE, like that that range can really vary depending on the culture of your firm okay um and so you just gotta you just gotta keep that in mind when you're recruiting is like hey if you have a strong preference for work-life balance you want to make sure that you understand what the culture is like at the firm before you go like is this a sweatshop type of environment or is this more of a you know laid back very, very chill type of environment okay um at a hedge fund i would say probably between 50 to 70 hours so slightly better than um private equity um, although again, depending on the fund you're at and you're working market hours cause you know, you're buying and selling stocks. So you got to do that when the markets are open. But again, in reality, it's like, I know a lot of my friends that work in hedge funds, you know, you're never, you're always on, right? You can never just completely shut down. Even when you're not at work, like things are constantly happening in the markets. There's constantly news coming out and, um, you always, you're gonna have this need to like always be on top of everything and, and know about things as soon as they happen. And so you're not, it's not like, oh, once you, you know, walk out of the office, you go home, you're just relaxing for the rest of the day and watching Netflix or something. That shouldn't really work like that. Unless, like, especially if, you, if you're gonna be a top performer, right? And like, I know friends that work at hedge funds are always reading the papers, always like consuming uh, f- financial news and other content to like try to find any edge they can in the markets, right? So anyway, that's on the work-life balance front, okay? Um, exit opportunity-wise, um, this is pretty straightforward. I'll start with hedge funds because that's the easiest one. If you go to a hedge fund, you're most likely um, going to stay in public investing, okay? Um, it's really hard to move from a hedge fund to outside of public investing because you, you just get really, really good at one thing and one thing only, which is like investing, right? Like picking stocks or bonds or whatever it is that you're trading, right? Um on the other hand, if you're in venture capital, um, you gotta move up in VC, obviously, like, you know, go on the partner track if you're good at it. Um, you can go and get a top MBA if you want, typically, um, especially if you come from a good firm. Uh, or you can exit to work at a tech startup, um, possibly even, you know, one of your portfolio companies, right? So that's what I see a lot with people that start out in VC. In private equity, you probably have the most flexible um, exit opportunities out of the three because yeah you can stay in PE and move up there but you can actually also move into P uh, sorry move into VC you can also move to, over to a hedge fund um, you can also get a top MBA if you want 
a lot of private equity firms are actually feeder programs into PE because, um, you know, they just, like a lot of the senior partners, they have relationships at these uh, business schools. Sometimes they even sit on the board. Um, also, like they're con constantly sending their associates into uh, these business schools every single year, right? So, so there's more of a relationship there than there would be, say, at a hedge fund. Because hedge funds don't really require their people to go back and get an MBA because you don't need a degree to be good at, you know, trading, right? Um, so top MBA is an option. And then like going corporate. But in this case, you're not just limited to technology startups like you would be in VC. Um, you can go into Fortune 100 companies. You can go work in tech if you want to. That's a popular thing to do nowadays. That's what I did after PE. Um, and so there's a lot more directions uh, that you can go in. Um, why is that though? Right. The reason that is though really comes down to this last bucket, which is what you're going to be learning on these jobs. Right. And so I put here uh, kind of the different things that you're going to learn. So there's a couple of different categories. Right. There's sourcing deals. There's portfolio management, which means like working with your portfolio company. So that's kind of like more of the operational side of things, uh, learning how to run a business, helping the management team increase their revenue growth or increase their margin profile, um, become more profitable. There's deal process management, which means like, you know, like when you're in banking, you do an M&A deal or you do IPO deal, you have to manage a process, right? So there's a deal process. Same thing when you're in venture capital, there's a deal process. When you're in private equity, there's a deal process. So there's a lot of... Uh, more like the administrative and logistical side, which is still really, really important, but you have to learn how to do, right? Um, you don't have to do any of that at a hedge fund because you're just buying and selling stocks for the most part, right? So you don't have to do a lot of these things. Um, and then, of course, there's also financial modeling, right? Financial modeling is like, you know, uh, three sigma modeling, LBO modeling, uh, you know, valuation, you know, DCS, whatever. Th that, that all counts, Right. And so those are the kind of the different categories and I kind of listed them here. And as you can see at a hedge fund, your primary skill set is going to be financial modeling. And by the way, I should also put due, uh, due diligence along with that, but financial modeling and due diligence kind of go together because you have to do due diligence to come up with the inputs into your financial models, right? Um, and so it's a singular skill set um, and that's why it's hard to move from a hedge fund to some of these other roles that require these other skills that you now don't have, right? And so I think an easier way to visualize this, let's go to the next slide, is to use this Venn diagram, okay? And so what I've driven, uh, what, what I drew here is, look, there's one skill set, which is financial modeling and due diligence, right? And then there's also deal process management, like I said, and then there's also um, sourcing and portfolio company management, okay? And I basically put... PE, hedge fund, VC. I also added IB here just to show you like what you'll actually be learning um, in each of these jobs, right? Like if you start out in IB, you're going to be doing a lot of financial modeling and you're going to learn how to do due diligence. That's why IB is such a good um, stepping stone into all of these buy side roles because you have these two skill sets, right? And so IB sits in the middle of these two, okay? If you're at a hedge fund, like I said, you do the financial modeling and due diligence, you don't do any of these other things. You don't do the green part, you don't do the red part, okay? If you're at a VC firm, because you're dealing with much earlier stage companies, you'll deal with sourcing, you'll work with your portfolio companies, you'll have to manage the deal processes, but it's not really heavy on the financial modeling, okay? Because there's not that much to model when you're working with early stage companies, okay? Um, you, you pretty, like even if you built a model, um, a lot of these companies don't have revenue yet. So it's like the numbers you're doing just, are just made up, right? Or even if they just started having revenue, um, if you try to build a model that's five years, 10 years out, a lot of things are gonna change, 
So that's not really what VCs base primarily base their investment thesis on. It's not the model, right? Now, if you're in PE, you kind of have to learn all three of these things. You got you you gotta sometimes you gotta source deals, especially more so if you're in growth equity because that's closer to a VC model. But depending on the firm, you have to source your own deals. Um, you're gonna have to manage the portfolio companies that you've that you've invested in. You're gonna have to manage the deal processes anytime you do a leverage buyout, um, and you or if you take your company public, or if there's a M&A deal in, in involving your uh, portfolio company, whether they're buying another company or you're selling them to another company, um, and so you get that skill set. And then there's heavy, heavy, heavy financial modeling involved um, because you're building really complex LVO models, three statement models, so on and so forth, right? Um, and so really, the thing that I personally really like the most about PE. I mean, yeah, the pay is great and all that, but really it's the fact that it sits in the middle of all three of these areas, and you really get, get to learn all of these different skill sets. And what that does is, again, to come back like uh, to this slide, it gives you the, the most exit opportunities, right? Like if you're not sure whether you're gonna stay in PE forever, or if you're not sure if you're gonna stay in hedge funds forever, or you're not sure if you're gonna stay in VCs forever, then, What's the smartest thing to do is to preserve as as many options as possible so you can go in any number of directions, right? The other thing you have to realize when you go into the buy side, whether it's a PE or a hedge fund or a VC firm, is that there aren't that many jobs available, right? It's kind of like a pyramid structure, and the higher up you go, the fewer uh, positions are available, right? And the senior people, like the partners at the top, there's not that much turnover, Right, they stay in that role for a long time, and so a lot of people aren't able to just continue to progress up all the way to the top. And at some point, they might have to go off and do something else. So you have to think about, hey, if that happens to be you, and as you're climbing this ladder, you kind of stall out. Are there other things that you'd be able to do? Right. One of the common things that people will do is they might lateral to another similar fund or they might move downstream a little bit to a slightly smaller fund and get promoted to a more senior position. But look, if that doesn't happen or maybe you don't even wanna stay in the buy side after a couple of years and you just wanna go do something else completely, do you have the opportunity to do that? Are you gonna be a, a desirable candidate with the relevant skill set for whatever it is that you may wanna do, right? So from that perspective, again, I'm biased because this is how I came to the conclusion of going to PE as opposed to maybe VC or hedge fund when I first started is that I wanted to sit in the middle of this diagram here and I knew that, hey, even if I did two years of PE, if I decided I didn't want to stay in PE, let's say I changed my mind later, I want to go to a hedge fund. I had the skill set to do that. If I wanted to go downstream to VC, I had the skill set to do that, right? If I want to go back to investment banking, I can still do that. Like I know people that have done that, it's rare, but it does happen, right? Uh, or if I want to stay in PE or ultimately what ended up happening was I ended up, um, going to work with uh, you know some tech companies, right? I worked at Square, I worked at GitHub, right? And so, at the end of the day, again to reiterate, all of these are phenomenal jobs. A lot of people will be um, dying to have these jobs. So if you can get any of these jobs, like you should be super happy. Um, but if you're in a position where you're still debating between one versus the other, and you're trying to figure out like, hey, what are all the pros and cons? This is just kind of my take on things, and so take it for what it's worth. And hopefully you guys found this to be helpful, okay? And obviously if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to give you um, just more insight on whatever it is that you wanna know, all right? That'll be it for this video. Thanks guys.
Thanks for listening to this episode. Interested in discovering how you can get personalized one-on-one coaching from Wall Street Mastermind to help you beat out the massive amount of competition out there? Head on over to www.wallstreetmastermind.com apply. And the street is abbreviated to ST, so it's really wallstmastermind.com apply. And our team looks forward to speaking with you.